Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockham Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Garley back from California. Wee! This is before the box score. Joy This is also coinciding with uh, Rockham Nation's Mental Health Week in Prop 2. Uh, just remember, love yourself. Don't do things that you don't want to do. Uh, and if that includes not watching Georgia beat the crap out of your favorite football team, that's fine. BK, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, California was fantastic. I made the absolutely horrendous decision of not going to the Cardinals game on Friday night when I had the opportunity to do so. So never going to live that one down. For those of you that aren't Cardinals fans, that was when Albert Pools hit not only home run number 699, but also 700 in the same game. In the city in which I was, uh, you know, staying at that time, I was five minutes away from the stadium. So that was super fu- fun. Um, but otherwise, I'm I'm good, man. I watched Mizzou's game from an outdoor patio where it was like 70 degrees outside in the morning. And I was having mimosas while having brunch. Um, by the way, West mm-hmm. Coast time for college football. Real great. Real, really great. Tell Enjoyed you. that 9 a.m. Yeah. Ready to go. It was fantastic. But mm-hmm. uh would have enjoyed a better ending. So uh, we can we can go ahead and talk about that if you'd like. Well, let's just rip the Band-Aid off. Damn it. You already brought it up. So here we are. Uh, Parker and I talked 40 minutes on Auburn and Missouri and all that crap that happened. Uh, BK, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm constructing a little pedestal. I'm pulling up a lectern. Here's your mic. All right, man. Go talk about Mizzou versus Auburn. I just like if you if I had to give a serum or like I'm trying to think of the best way to frame this. If I had to tell a friend who had never watched Mizzou football what it is like to watch Missouri football, why we are the way we are as Mizzou fans, I would just show like the last what four minutes of regulation and then overtime of Mizzou versus Auburn. That that would be enough, and then they would understand it, and they would say, okay. I get it. Like, it all makes sense to me suddenly. You miss a 25-yard field goal with an All-American kicker as time expires. A distance from which he never misses. Literally, never. You come an inch away from a game-winning interception. You were offsides on Auburn's first field goal attempt, which was a miss. And it wasn't just offsides from anybody, right? I could understand if it was like the guy at the end of the line that's just really trying to get a good jump. Nope, it's the guy that is literally across from the long snapper. And then on the second attempt, it goes in. Then, on what should have been a game-winning touchdown run, 
you fumble at the goal line and it wasn't fourth down. I just, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, Bill Connolly put out his win expected expectancy numbers. It was a greater than 90% chance that based on the play-by-play data, Missouri should have won that game. They allowed fewer than 220 yards of total offense against Auburn, and they lost. It was the first time Missouri has accomplished such a feat since November of 2000. It had been more than 20 years since that had taken place. And oh, by the way, if all of that wasn't enough, the best recruit in the last 10 years of Mizzou football did not touch the ball on offense. So, yeah, that happened. Um, I. I, I still can't totally describe my feelings from that game because it was just the opposite of whatever pure ecstasy is. That was that was hell. That was hell. So, yeah, it was yeah. Uh, it was less than fun. Nate, less than fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you on that one. Uh, I've already shared everything that I'm, I mostly wanted to share. About that game, I did I did go ahead and do beyond the box score because again, routine. I thrive in it, uh, and and I get paid to do it. So you know, I did it. <laughs> you know, this defense deserves so much more, and the 2015 Missouri team is just shaking its head vigorously yep. in a yes motion. The be- the craziest thing to me is that. Blake Baker in this defense needs 15 minutes to figure out what you want to do. Yep. They see it, they get it, they taste their own blood, and then they snuff you out. And it's incredible to watch. It's absolutely incredible to watch. Now, again, Auburn, not a talented offensive team. Kansas State, very predictable offensive team. ACU is an FCS team, and Louisiana Tech is bad. I understand that this four-game sample is not going to be indicative of of this season as a whole, but so far four games is what we have. That's, that's a third of the season. Also, it might be indicative of what you see against Florida, Vandy, sure. South Carolina, New Mexico state, and then maybe ish Arkansas, maybe. Arkansas, probably a little better than those teams, but yeah, like that's the vast majority of your schedule is at least in line or similar to what you're seeing from K state and Auburn. Yeah. This is, this is what he does. Mm-hmm. And we'd all prefer that he can do that, you know, with a week with worth of prep and shut it down in Q1. I'll tell you, I, if you can, if you if you let a bad first quarter go and then have dynamite second, third, and fourth quarters, I'm fine with it. That that's such a huge improvement already, and that's I would prefer my defense be better uh, as the game goes on. So that's fine with me. The issue, of course, is that the offense can't do anything ever at all. So this is where we're at. And I, I BK, I, I have I called uh, Eli Drinkwitz a, a football coward after the game. And I've I've hinted at that in, in other pieces. And and again, I, it's not a judge of his character. That's a judge of his football acumen because he plays conservatively. He plays scared. He plays not yeah. to lose. Here's my big bone of contention. And this goes back to the two road games that he's played this year so far, which both happen to be Power 5 teams. I broke down when Eli Drinkwitz called a pass, a pass play against Kansas State and against... Uh, Auburn this past weekend against Kansas state, Missouri had 16 third down situations, 12 of the plays called were passing plays against Auburn. Missouri faced 13 third down situations. 10 of those plays were, were passing plays. And in fact, of the 34 rushes called against Auburn last Saturday, all but three were called on first and second down. When you when you are on first and second down, that's a standard down. And the reason we call that a standard down is because the offense can do pretty much anything they want. You can throw it, you can run it, doesn't really matter. The defense has to guess. If you are in second and long, or third and long, or fourth and long, like that's a passing down. It's like okay, well, you're probably going to pass here. And <laughs> Eli Drinkwitz calls runs when you have basically all the options on the table, and he calls passes on third down. That's not a good recipe for a really good quarterback. And Brady Cook is an okay one. You need to do him some favors. You need to call plays in a manner that keeps the defense on its heels and guessing. And right now, they know first down run, second down run, third down pass, fourth down punt. And just rinse and repeat that 16 times a game. So 
I'm, I, I know I cited the cowardliness on, on the, the plays right after Dominic Lovett caught that bomb with the first and three with about 50 seconds left. And you're down and you're tied, right? That's, that's when I was citing it. But it goes so much further than that. And it goes to how he calls plays. And it's, especially on the road and certainly against Power 5 competition, it's boring, it's predictable, and if you have a below-average quarterback and a below-average offense, you need to get creative, and that's my problem because we're not seeing that creativity. The entire offense has become stale. Like, there's just nothing interesting about it. It's the same things over and over and over. It's the same route concepts over and over and over. And when you get enough data on that and you see what it's going to be, man, these these teams have the same tape that we do. They've got more of it than we do. They've got tendency sheets that they'll hand out at practice the week of the games. They know what's coming. And when you fall into those same sequences, and that's one thing that I think is really important for people to understand, play calling is more than just like the actual calls that are being made in any situation. It's about design. It's about sequencing. So you show one thing early in the game and then you, based on them seeing that early in the game, you now can run X, Y, or Z depending on how they reacted to said play, right? So like, there's a lot that goes into play calling and it feels as if Missouri's just kind of going back to the same recycled game plans weekly. There's there's just nothing particularly interesting about it. Like I, I know that people are really mad about the Luther burden, um, not having any offensive touches in that game. And I agree, like I'm upset about it as well. I think that it's kind of embarrassing that they didn't get him more touches, but I also think it, it it's less so about specifically him not having a touch and more so that they couldn't find interesting or unique or different ways to get him easy touches because they did try to get him involved. They ran a quick slant for him like they threw a go route. They did the same things that they've done all year. Right. The problem is like for most of the teams that have this one really unique or special talent they can easily manufacture touches for him. Think back last year, for example. If you watched Arkansas, you knew what was coming your way and you couldn't stop it. Traylon Burks was going to be involved in every way possible. There were going to be quick screens. There were going to be end rounds. There was going to be him lining up in the Wildcat. Like A little bit of everything was coming your way, and a lot of it was at or behind the line of scrimmage to get him the ball in space and just, hey, go make a play, Traylon Burks. Same thing was true for like a Wandale Robinson at Kentucky. Hey, we're going to get him the ball and get it to him as easily as possible. And you go back early in the season against Louisiana Tech and they did some of that stuff. And I think that's what's so baffling about what's taken place in the three games since is what happened to that game plan? Where is that creativity? Because it's just, it's gone. And so when I look at what happened against Auburn, man, that team so badly wanted to lose Auburn. They so badly wanted to lose that game. They were fully prepared for Brian Harson to be fired. Like it was ripe for the taking. Their quarterback gets hurt. Their offensive line can't get anything going for their running game. They are just, they are ready to lose. And Missouri just kept saying, here, here, no, actually you go ahead and take this. You take it. No, 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 no. We don't want it. This is for you. And a lot of that was the way that Eli Drinkwitz was calling the game. So I, I'm totally with you, Nate. Like I, I just... None of it makes sense to me because Eli Drinkwitz, the entire reason why he got this job is because of who he is and what he has done to maximize his offenses in the past. And then now you look at what his offense is and it's like everybody wants him to hire an offensive coordinator because it's not good enough. I got news for you guys. If he has to hire an offensive coordinator because his offense isn't good enough, then he's not the right guy for the job. His his value is that he's a good offensive mind, mm -hmm. and we're not seeing that right now. So it's all very frustrating, and none of it's going to look any better this week. And that's not because of Mizzou's deficiencies, it's because Georgia's awesome. Mm -hmm. So judge basically nothing from what you see this weekend, unless they somehow pull off the miracle of our all miracles and make this a close game. But <laughs> yeah, it's 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 frustrating man and i'm running out of words to describe it because yeah. it's watching the same game on repeat and finding different and new ways to lose yeah 
That, At least the defense is good, though. I, I, so I do good. think, can we talk about the good for a second? Please, God, yes. Because, man, this, this defense is actually really fun to watch. Um, I went back, and for this week, we asked a question on, um, on the side of, who's Missouri's best player right now? And I think it is indisputably Tyron Hopper. He is everywhere, dude. I went back and rewatched every snap that he took in that game against Auburn. And I, I think a big part of what you're talking about with them needing to figure out what an opposing team is trying to do first and then they attack it is Tyron Hopper because he can do anything. Like if you need him to line up in the slot, he can do that. If you need him to line up as like a, a three technique and just blitz the hell out of the opposing quarterback because for whatever reason, the opposing offensive line can't deal with the, the pressures from the interior, he can do that. If you need him to just go sideline to sideline because the opposition's going to run the triple option or something, guess what? Tyron Hopper can do that as well. You need him to punch a tight end at the line of scrimmage and then uh, go ahead and, like they did this week, for example, spy the quarterback. Guess what? He's the man for that job too. Tyron Hopper is incredible, and he's already putting up just nutso numbers, and he's going to end up by the end of the season being in that same pantheon as guys like Nick Bolton and Sean Weatherspoon, and whoever else your favorite, like Kentrell Brothers. Like, I think that's probably, for me, the Mount Rushmore of Mizzou linebackers mm -hmm. over the last 15 years. Going to be Brothers, uh, Sean Weatherspoon, Nick Bolton, and Tyron Hopper is going to add his name to that list. I'd agree. I, I see no reason for him to come back, I can tell you that. I, I'm not saying that he shouldn't. I'm not saying that he can't. I'm just saying he looks ready for the NFL to me. Um, So, I... That's great for him. That's that's what he wanted. He wanted an opportunity to shine as the guy, and he wasn't going to get that opportunity in front of Florida's dynamite linebacker. So he came here, and that's what he's doing. Right now, uh, you know, he's got what he got four tackles for loss, two sacks, two run stuffs, an interception. <laughs> when he makes a tackle, it's one point one yards past the line of scrimmage. Like that's, I, I don't know what more you can ask for, frankly. And he can. Nate, he can here, here are the only. These are the only Missouri linebackers in the last 15 years to have 20 solo tackles, seven tackles for loss, two sacks in a season. Mm -hmm. Hall, Brothers, Xavier, uh, and then spooned it twice, hmm. Tyron Hopper. Yeah, there you go. Tyron Hopper has played four games. Those guys did it in a season. <laughs> like what, what he is doing right now is just, he's filling up the box score every single week. He does. I'll say, God, Xavier Gooden criminally underrated linebacker for Missouri. Really good one. Ended up being in the league for like 10 years. For a little bit, yeah. Yeah. I loved him. I That was... When I was in school, I was on the field frequently uh, during halftime, and he was warming up uh, before the game even kicked off. That is the most chiseled dude I'd ever seen in my life. In my life. He was just a... He was a god. And he played awesome, and he was disruptive. Do you know he's the strength and conditioning coach now at USC? No way. Yeah. That's awesome. Assistant strength and conditioning coach. He was hired this year okay. for this past okay. season. Yes, I get it, baby. Good for him. That's awesome. Come back home. <laughs> not kidding. Man. Don't associate yourself with this program. That's not a good career move at this point. That's awesome, though. I love Xavier Gooden. Uh, so you know, that's Auburn. Is there God? Is there anything else you want to talk about Auburn, or can we can we move on to other happier things? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Dominic Lovett's really good. He is. Yeah. He's really good. Uh, they don't have a tight end. Nate Pete is clearly your best running back, mm -hmm. which we've been saying since day one. Mm -hmm. Um, Brady Cook's not the answer at quarterback, but they seemingly don't have an answer at quarterback. Can I ask you a question about that? I've seen this batted around. When does Drinkwitz start Sam Horn? My answer is it's either the Vanderbilt game or never. What do you think? Mm, that feels right to me. I could see him doing the thing where he says, well, we didn't want to burn the red shirt, yeah. so it'll be the final four games of the season. <laughs> but if you're doing that, you're starting him against Kentucky, Tennessee. You yeah, learn nothing yeah, against New Mexico yeah, State yeah. and then Arkansas. Like, good, good luck. You're throwing him to the wolves at that point. At least if you throw him out there against Vandy, you got Vandy in South Carolina, mm -hmm. and you can really kind of evaluate what he looks like against those teams because those are reasonable tests for him. Um, yeah, I, I think what you're suggesting is probably the right way to do it. I 
I honestly don't think that Drinkwitz is going to play him this year. No, I don't think I, so either. I think that he's going to do what he did last year where he's just totally waiting it out and we get to the end of the season and say, okay, well, we know that Brady Cook's not the answer. <laughs> What's your next answer, Drinkwitz? And he, he might not have one, so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my only hope, my only hope for seeing Sam Horn is that Missouri gets, well, blown out this week, which, sure, and then also loses to Florida. Because then you're entering the bye week at two and four. And what are you really playing for at that point? I mean, ideally, you know, getting into a bowl game, but that's I mean, such no, a tough, no, no. tough five. ask. You're hoping for five at that point. Yeah. Like praying for five. So if you, like, I, I mean, I said after the Kansas State game that he's lost the trust of the fans. If you are going into a bye week at two and four and you keep trying out Brady and Cook, like, that's, that's disrespectful to anyone who, who cares about this team. I'm totally with you. I, I think that the right move at that point, even if you're giving up on maybe a win, like mm-hmm. maybe you lose against Vanderbilt because you started Sam. Horn. So what? I don't care. <laughs> so what? I do not care. <laughs> Find out what he's got. Yeah. Like may, maybe he's good. Maybe you win the Vanderbilt game because mm-hmm. Sam Horn was out there, you know? Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, at some point you've got to go ahead and give it a shot. Right. Because we, we now know Brady Cook is not the guy. Not in this situation. I think there are other situations where Brady Cook could be fine. I don't think Brady Cook is necessarily a bad quarterback. No, he's okay. I don't think he can elevate the talent around him. And in this scenario, you need somebody that can elevate the talent around Bingo. them. Bingo. And if you're really not playing for anything, you might as well see what you have. He said that he wanted to play yeah. Tavoris Jones against Auburn and, quote, just couldn't get to it. <laughs> like, oh, well, I needed yeah. you to dust. Ah, I just didn't get to it. You know, I'll get it tomorrow, I guess. Um, all right, that's fine. But you need you need to sell us something. You gotta you gotta pitch something to keep interest for a team that is bad. And right now this team's not very good. So hey, on the plus interest. side, apparently it's a sellout this weekend. So uh, that's because George is in town. If I said that there were all right, so a sellout for Faro is sixty one thousand. Is that what it is now? That's about right. Yeah. If I said. Well, if I put the over under Missouri fans at 28,000, why don't you take the over or the under? Slide over. Yeah. Just because, like, I mean, what they have for Abilene Christian, would they announce for 42? 40? Yeah, so I I think you'll get around 40 Missouri fans. Okay. And 20,000 Georgia fans. But I, I hope people understand, just 20,000 Georgia fans. Is, That's a ton of Georgia fans. You can, you can notice that <laughs> in the stadium. <laughs> Especially in the second half, like you will feel that. Yeah. But yeah. Mm. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, let's talk about some things that happened to the team this week. The big one, the sucky one, is that Zeke Powell is lost for the year. I guess that's the last remaining crappy note from Auburn. Uh, Brady Cook threw that interception on like the seventh or eighth play of the game, and Zeke did all he could to take down the guy and uh, for his efforts got a knee to the head and uh, a lower leg <laughs> contusion uh, for his troubles. So he is he is done for the year. This was his last year, so he's pretty much done for his career. Uh, I'm sure he participates in his you know, pro day and, and hopes to get into the draft, but for all intents and purposes, he is done. And that sucks. Uh, Zeke Powell, we've talked about him a lot, but just as a reminder, because everybody's comic book is their first, Zeke Powell joined the team in 2020. He was a late addition uh, during the COVID 2020 season. He slotted in at right tackle when Hiram White uh, sat out for that season for COVID restrictions. And he was thrown into the fire 
game one against Alabama and did and did fine. He rotated out of the lineup in 20 uh, as the games went on. He was a situational piece last year in 21. And then, obviously, we lost White with an injury for this year, so he came back in to play at right tackle. Uh, this is junior college kid who who made a decent impact. Certainly didn't take it too much away from the offensive line. Was the best option heading into the year, and now he is gone. He is done. So condolences to Zeke. Thank you for your service, man. Uh, looks like the replacement is going to be bouncing Connor Wood out of that right guard spot and into the right tackle spot and moving up Mitchell Walters into the right guard position. Now, that's what happened against Auburn, and that one actually worked decently well, especially when they brought in a sixth offensive lineman. But BK, we said it all offseason that the strength of this offensive line was its options, and then we get into the game, and it seems like the options are just not as much as we thought, (laughs) and now you lose one guy. So what are your big takeaways from this development? I think my takeaway is that Mitchell Walters looked okay. (laughs) Like, I, I... I will say up front, you got to feel for Zeke Powell, man. This was, I mean, he did everything he possibly could to make the most of every opportunity that he had at Mizzou. And I respect the hell out of that because he was not put into an easy situation. He comes in, starts year one, and then basically doesn't play year two and then comes in and is a starter again in year three. He was trying to make the most of it. So credit where it is due. He did everything that he could with the talent that he has. That being said, He's just he's limited as a player, and that's not a shot against him. It's just the reality of what Missouri was handling. I think Mitchell Walters could be okay. I don't know that he's going to be good for sure, but I think he was better in pass pro than what you saw previously from Zeke Powell. And I think the combination of Wood and Walters could be better than the combination that you had previously of Wood and Powell. Here's my question to you, Nate. What does it say about Missouri's talent evaluation if that ends up being the case? We talk about your best five versus your best unit. And I think you and I both agreed that Connor Wood was a better tackle, but the offensive line was better when he was playing guard. Now, that was back when we did have Hiram White. So if they truly thought that Pallet tackle and Wood at guard was their best, and then, oh, by the way, it's not. Marcus Johnson, buddy, um, I've trusted you for three years. What are you doing, man? Like, There must be something going on. Maybe Mitchell is a terrible practice player. Maybe Zeke is a really good one. But it doesn't make me feel good that it takes four games to figure out your best lineup, and then, oh, even then, it didn't happen until an injury. That's not a good look. It, it feels like it's a trend now. And it's not necessarily just the offensive line. It feels like it's all over the offense where you get into week one, two, three, and four at times. You're like, okay, well, by week seven, there's new guys that are starting and they seem to be better than the guys that were starting early on in the season. And I know that happens all over. I'm not trying to make this just a Missouri problem, but it feels like it is also specifically a Missouri problem in some of these instances. And it's just really frustrating. Because you'd like to give more opportunities against teams like Abilene Christian or Louisiana Tech to be able to find out, you know, like when you leave the Abilene Christian game and say to yourself, hey, we're going to be looking at other guys to see if we actually had our best five out there. Why, Why didn't we learn that against Louisiana Tech? Why didn't we give more opportunities against Abilene Christian? And the same is true at running back. Why did you have to wait until Auburn to find out if Tavares Jones could play like that? That's not the game where you do that. You do that against Louisiana Tech and Abilene Christian when you're up by three scores in both scenarios. And they just they don't do that. Why is Makai Miller not getting opportunities right now when you you find out that Chance Looper is not going to be available? Uh, Okay, well, that that's horrible, obviously. And all of us wish him nothing but the best. And also that hopefully eventually he can get back onto the football field. But. Hey, Makai Miller was a guy that you're very excited about. Okay, let's see what he can do. You've got four games to play with now. This is not like 10 years ago where you're burning the red shirt the first opportunity that they step on the field. No, you could play them four different times to find out first what they look like on the field. I could tell you before the season what those four games were going to be. Louisiana Tech, Abilene Christian, Vanderbilt, and New Mexico State. That's where you got the opportunities. Or if you don't do it against Vanderbilt, you do it against New Mexico State and Arkansas at the end of the year. And they don't do that. So that's what's so frustrating. They, they should be finding this stuff out earlier than they seem to. Do you think they know the rule? 
I'm kind of. It would, it would explain so much more if they don't. I, I was gonna say I'm a little facetious, but at the same time, if that was the case, that makes it just makes so much sense. And I just, you don't, you don't see them do. You don't see them respect the long term health of this program by testing the youth ever. They have their guys, they have the ones they trust, and whether you're good or not, if you if you don't have their trust, you're not on the field. And I understand that's not a novel thing. That's that's kind of a college football thing, uh, or college football coach thing. But oh my god, <laughs> do you want to make this program better? Do you want to see what you have with with these with this most talented recruiting classes that you ever got? Are they actually bad? I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> I know they have like McKay, they have all the benefit of, of practice and we don't, but put put them in the live in live action. See what Mackay Miller can do against a college secondary. See what literally Tavoris Jones can do running behind a college offensive line. It's very simple things that don't take a lot of time, and he just doesn't ever do it. How many snaps do you think Mackay Miller has on the season? For in the passing game, I should clarify. How many passing game snaps do you think he has this year? He's appeared in two different games: Louisiana Tech and Abilene Christian, technically. 12. Six. Oh my God. Ran three routes against uh, Louisiana Tech and three routes against Abilene Christian. That's it. He's caught one pass, had one target. That's, that is 100%. what we've seen so far from Mackay Miller. 100% Mackay. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's just, and that's the kind of stuff that over time it starts to add up, man. Mm-hmm. And, and not only does it add up for us, it also adds up for players where they say, at the end of the season, well, I'm clearly not valued here, not getting any opportunities. I might as well go see if somebody else can value me a little bit more. Yep. And then you get this never-ending cycle of transfers coming in, transfers going out. That's happening everywhere, but maybe not to the same degree because, again, these guys aren't getting opportunities. Gavin McKay. We're short on wide receivers. We have no tight ends. He has not stepped on the field. Max Wisner. Why he's, is not he? the tra- he's not even on the He's not even on the... The travel roster. No, he's not. I mean, there's like three freshmen that are on the travel roster. One of them is Luther Burden. Yep. Max Weisner has not seen the field. We have no tight ends. We have no tight ends. You he's got to be better, by the way. He like he, he can't be worse than the guys that are right now. He can't. I refuse to believe it. Seeing Ryan Horse Camp. Horse, work on, work on your feet, buddy. Um, But you literally can't put him out there. I think he's a there. slot receiver. <laughs> Well, he, he's not because he's not, not on the field for that either. Yeah, I just, this is just, just I, the, the the roster management of this staff is mind boggling. I have no idea what they talk about. I, I just, I have to give the benefit of the doubt to them that they know something that I don't. But at the same time, it is mind-numbingly stupid how set in their in their rotations that they are, even when it's not working. In the face of it not working, time and time again. Oh my god. I want to get gray hair. Should we talk about Drinkwitz? Let's talk about it. I feel like we've been doing that. (laughs) Let's go ahead and continue. So I wanted to do an exercise because I saw, um, again, Stephen Godfrey, my college football Sherpa, he operates in in the muck, right? He operates in college coaches being hired and fired, the rumor mill of position coaches, bagmen, that sort of thing. And he, he, on one of his shows, he went through um, a checklist of, of of, of questions that he asks when he's running through should a coach get fired? And you are listening to this show. You assumingly breed Rock Nation. You are a smart Missouri football fan who likes nuance, who likes details, who wants to have a logical, understanding, reasonable conversation about these sort of things. So I want to have this conversation with you. Share these questions so that we can all ask these when this sort of thing pops up. So when you are firing a coach at the college level, there's five questions that you need to ask yourself. Number one. What's the advantage of doing it right now? Number two, what's the market perception of your program? Number three, how much is owed to the exiting coach slash staff? Number four, how much money is coming in? And then number five, who is the person you trust in this process? So BK, let's let's run down the questions here real quick. Question number one, let's say someone comes to you and say, BK, you have the power to either fire Eli Drinkwitz or keep him for the rest of this season. It is completely up to you. In your mind, what's the advantage of firing him right now? Oh, none. Like, there is no reason whatsoever to fire Eli Drinkwitz right now. Now, if you want to have the conversation of, like, let's 
let's project forward. Let's project to December 1st. What is now on December 1st, the the value of firing Eli Drinkwitz? I, I can have that conversation, but right now it's zero. Yeah, I agree. There is no advantage of doing it now. Number two, what's the market perception of your program? I know I have shared my thoughts before that I feel like Missouri is the uh, poor house in the rich neighborhood uh, and they act accordingly. BK, I mean, we, we spend less, less than anyone else in the SEC. What do you think is the market perception of Missouri right now? I think Missouri fans have a different perception of what the program is than what many on the outside would have about what Missouri is. I think there's somewhere between depending on who you are and depending on what you think of playing in the SEC and having the opportunity to compete against the best, somewhere between the 35th and 50th best job in the country, somewhere around that range. Um, I think Mizzou fans probably think it's closer to 35th. I think nationally, most people would think it's probably closer to the 50th. And the reality is it's probably somewhere closer to the middle, right? Yeah. That being said, like if you're in that range of program, it limits your options. And Mizzou fans, we go through this every time there's a job opening, whether it's football or basketball. Um, if you're coming off good times or bad times, Mizzou fans want the sitting head coach in a power five program that's done it already. That's one at a high level. And then we get to the end of the hiring process, and it's always somebody that leaves you wondering, like, really, that that's the kind of job that we are, huh? But everybody is that way. Like, look at the guys that have been hired candidate-wise from peer programs. It's mostly the same types of individuals. It's group of five head coaches that wanted to take their next step and are hoping to either use that as a stepping stone or view that as, hey, I can win here. This is going to be my program now. Or it's failed Power 5 coaches from elsewhere that are on the recycle bin. Or it's guys that are somewhere in between, like offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators from other Power 5 programs that are finally getting their shot. Those are the guys that get hired. And so for Mizzou, like that's going to be the bin in which you are looking for your next program builder. So I, I think that the perception of what Missouri's job is differs depending on who you ask and that will influence what kind of candidates they're looking at yeah i mean missouri is an sec school so that's always going to have interest just built in because there's always going to be a coach who's like huh can i do it there and looking to get in so there there is some benefit to that as far as if you're like you said you're ranking it out like 35th 50th whatever there is some benefit to being in in the sec because it does attract a certain type of coach but yeah, it's not like Missouri's magically going to <laughs> skip a tier up in ability to hire somebody. Missouri is a is a uh, MacGyver program, right? There's there's always going to be, you know, there's going to be a limited amount of resources and time, and there's going to be things that you can't fix as a football coach. You know, whether that's uh, you know budget allocation, support from the alumni, from the faculty, whatever. Like there there, it is you have to do more with less at Missouri compared to your SEC peers. So that is that is something that all coaches need to acknowledge and understand coming in. But it is an SEC gig. So, you know, like if you can make it there, like you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to have a lot of prestige and you have basically a, a golden ticket to the playoff if you can win your win your conference, which get impossible. Uh so I think coaches are always going to be intrigued by Missouri. But from a market standpoint, <laughs> the amount that you're going to spend and the prestige that you have is, I think, a quite a bit lower than anybody else. Uh, another SEC school, SEC school hiring, or a blue blood that's hiring at the same time, or even peer programs that are hiring at the same time, that that is going to make it tougher. So, um, yeah, it's certainly not as great as Missouri fans think, but I think it's a little bit better than a national perception because you have that blue and yellow SEC on your jersey. So that was question number two. Question number three: How much is owed to the exiting coach slash staff? Now, I did some back-of-the-napkin math last time we talked about this. It came out to me, you know, if you pay him for four more years, that's about $11.2 million. Uh, if you don't, you know, you're looking at eight. So uh, somewhere around there, it's going to be multiple millions of dollars to get him to go away. And if you don't hold on to staff, you're going to be paying their buyouts as well. So, guys, it's a lot of money. <laughs> that's that's the point. Probably talking about $10, $11 million just to just to pay the staff to go away. And then you have to bring in a new staff. So this brings us to question number four, which is how much money is coming in? And BK, I know we have SEC money coming in, but 
that only gets you so far. Also, the money that you want to use to fire your coach and hire your new staff is also being used as NIL now. Um, so, you know, kind of have to think about that as well. That's a good point. So how much money is going out? How much money is coming in? Always important to ask a little. We're not going to know specifically, but that's a question that you need to think about. And then the biggest problem. Question number five. Who is the person you trust in this process? Now, if this was a Mac program, if this was a Big 12 program, that's not Texas. If this was, you know, an American conference team you would be trusting your athletic director to make this hire. And the question is simply, do you trust your athletic director to make this hire? In this case, it's Desiree Reed-Francois. Her last football hire was at UNLV. It took a couple years. Now they're three and one. So, yeah, all right. She made a pretty good hire, it seems like. But in Missouri, it's not that simple, is it? Because we have a gentleman named Munchoy. He likes to get involved in stuff. He likes to have a final say on things. You have a board of curators who thinks that they're athletic directors too. And they'll take a look at an athletic director's report card and go, no, 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 go, go, go back. And then they'll go to the public and tell everybody that they did that. So you've got a lot of uh, meddling figures here, BK. I don't know if I trust Desiree at this point. I have no reason not to, but there's so many other players in this process that it makes me not trust the process of hiring another coach. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I get it. And also sometimes we just have to take that leap of faith, right? We're doing the trust fall and <laughs> we're going to see if we end up cracking our head on the floor or if somebody catches us. And unfortunately, in this one, there's like 10 arms behind us, you know, <laughs> so uh, it, will somebody catch us? Maybe or maybe we just fall through all the 10 different sets of arms. There's 20 hands that are waiting for us and none of them catch us. Yeah. So that's the that's the problem with being a Missouri fan is that when you get into these situations, sometimes it does turn out well. Sometimes you end up with Gary Pinkle and he's your head coach for the next 15 years. And you look back and you say, God, I wish we had Gary Pinkle again. Uh, and other times you end up with Barry Odom or Eli Drinkwitz or Kim Anderson or 10 other different coaches that I could go through the Mizzou basketball timeline of hiring Frank Haith. So. It can be complicated, and we don't really know what Desiree Reed Francois' tendencies would be with a hire on the football side of things. We do know, though, that the board of curators or Moon Choi would be trying to find the next flashy hire, somebody that they can sell at the press conference. And as as much as I'm here for exciting hires, uh, some of it is just about like, hey, did you get the right dude that can win? Did you get the guy that can build a program? Mm -hmm. Because there was nothing interesting about Gary Pinkle, but he could build a football program. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting. And that's fun. The fun is in the winning. And Mizzou just hasn't done enough of it. Yep. There's nothing interesting about Lance Leipold, but he has made Kansas a contender. There's nothing interesting about Willie Fritz, but he went into Manhattan, Kansas and beat Kansas State. Like, it's... You need a program builder. And and this is really coming back to the crux of our main argument. And we've said it multiple weeks. Eli Drinkwitz is not getting fired. Just He's just not. A couple of those questions answer that for you. But not only is he not getting fired, we should not want to fire him for these reasons. There's no advantage of doing it now. The market perception of the program is not the best, certainly not as great as we think it is. We owe a lot to the exiting staff. We don't have as much coming in. And we don't completely trust everybody who's involved in this process it behooves missouri fans for eli drinkwitz to do well because otherwise you're going right back into the pool the same pool you pulled from last time by the way that hasn't changed in the past three years and you're going to do it all over again and we're going to reset the clock back at zero do you really want to go six years of, of, of mediocre to bad football 10 years removed from the last time missouri's been relevant on the national stage do you really want to do that at this point no we want him to have the time to turn this thing around and make it happen. Now, he's doing things to sabotage that. He's doing things to make the fan base angry, to not give his program the health, the long-term health that I've been craving for. He's not playing the youth. He's pulling in a lot of transfers. He's insistent on winning now for reasons that are unknown. So, like, he's not doing himself any favors. But it is in our best interest for him to run the program the way he sees fit because that – 
God forbid, is somehow the way that this program is going to get better and he's going to stick around and win, or at least that's what we think. But you need to be so certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is not the guy because going back to that pool is is, is a crapshoot. And we have, we have seen some frustrating losses. We've seen some baffling decisions both on and off the field. But we're not at the point where we are beyond a shadow of a doubt that this guy is not the answer. Not yet. So we're not firing him. He shouldn't be fired. He needs that time. It would also be in his interest to win some games. Yes? Yeah, I think he's he will go into next season as one of the hottest seats in college football. Um, but that time is just not right now. Like, have me and Nate, just pu- peeling back the curtain, have me and Nate talked about who we would like as Missouri's next head coach? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you better believe it. Um, have we also acknowledged that that's not going to happen this year? Yeah, we have. So that's where we're at. Well, it's Georgia week. Um, again, you don't have to watch the game. Crazy things have happened, but you don't have to watch the game if you don't want. The thing about Georgia is that they are good. Breaking news. The other thing about Georgia is that they just got their scare. You know, it, it, if you're a if you're an Ohio State, or you're in Alabama, or you're a Georgia, it feels like there's one game, one game a year, where somebody sneaks up on them. Even the best gets snuck up on. And you kind of hope that it's a team that can actually beat them. <laughs> you know, uh, this time Kent, Kent State stepped up to the mic and, and did the scary. Who's their coach? Oh, Sean, Sean Lewis. Lewis. Okay. Ooh, yeah. oh, that's familiar in our conversations. Hmm. So Kent State steps up to the mic, tells a couple jokes, nails a few, scares their living crap out of Georgia, loses by 10. Kind of feels like that was the one that was going to maybe get past them and they won by 10 at home. So. The thing that Kent State did really, really well is that they move warp speed fast and they got a lot of explosive plays by throwing screen passes to the side. They just basically bypass that, that terrifying front seven, get your playmakers out in space on the edges, have them make a few moves, shake the secondary, and then go really far. And they were able to do that multiple times in the game. That's how they did it. I don't, Missouri certainly has the athletes. I don't think they have the scheme to do that. So, BK... Uh, this is going to be rough. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Missouri's going to lose by at least 28 points. That's what the spread is. That's my anticipation. And if you set a line of like even odds, Georgia uh, special teams in defense versus Missouri offense, I think I would take Missouri's offense, but I would have to think about it. (laughs) I I would give serious consideration. I think like if I had to make a bold prediction in this game, I think Georgia's defense scores a touchdown. Um, I I think there is a real chance they score more points in this one than Missouri's offense. Luther is allegedly, reportedly, however you want to look at it, banged up. I don't know if he's going to play in this game or not. I think he will, but we'll see. Um, they the, the offense is just, it's all out of sorts right now. You guys have seen it. So I expect Missouri to score like six points in this one. I think Georgia scores more than 35, and we go on, and we can talk about that following week. I'm okay with that. We're going to watch because, again, we have to. And we will we will pot about it because, again, we have to. But that's the problem. Drinkwitz isn't really giving you any reason to get excited. He isn't really giving you any reason to hope. And that makes watching these sorts of games tough. Uh, that you do. Can I ask one quick thing yeah. as a follow-up on sure. this, Nate? How much changes if they just don't fumble at the goal line? Like, if instead of Nate Pete fumbling and them losing that game, he holds on to it just long enough to cross the goal line, Mm -hmm. how much of our conversations right now are different? I'm asking this honestly. Well, you're you're still viewing it as one of the most offensive football performances of all time, but you're doing it while you're laughing because you won. It's kind of like... I don't even know what to compare it to. You know how we make fun of that 2014 offensive performance against Florida where Marcus Murphy had to literally score two times in like interception. Now that was a blowout, but like offense didn't do crap. And that was very, very funny because you won. I think this would be more like the UConn game, right? UConn or South Carolina in 14. One of those, you know, where you're like, how did we do that? Football is drunk. Ha ha ha. We won anyway. Kind of like that. That's what I would assume. Okay. 
The reason why I ask is just because, like, they, they did still, despite all of the stuff that we've talked about, they, they should have won. <laughs> like, they, they should have won that game. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, the answer is I, I really wouldn't change anything about the way that I feel about this team because they didn't play well. Like, they played horribly, at least offensively. Defensively, they were good in that game. But it, it nothing about what they did at Auburn changes the way that I feel about this team coming off of what they did against both K-State and Abilene Christian. It felt like watching the same team again. So even if they came out with a, with a win, obviously you feel better because they came out with a victory. And that's the goal of this thing is to come out with as many wins as you can. I would still probably pick them at or below six wins probably five wins mm-hmm. on the season yeah you know i would too it's just it's until you see something different it's hard to not think that it's going to be five wins so i i think that's fair um <laughs> i'm gonna do the 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 silly thing and look at the winning projections going forward so georgia is a 10 percent win probability florida's 35 percent Vanderbilt 81, that's high. Yeah. South Carolina yeah. on the road 43. Mm, that's fine. That feels right. Kentucky 28%. Uh high. Tennessee 15. Yeah. High. New Mexico State 96. <laughs> New Mexico State wow. actually won a game, by the way. Uh, and then Arkansas 36. So you all you add all that up. Missouri's got a 3% chance of finishing with three wins, an 18% chance of finishing at four wins, a 34% chance of winning five games, 29% chance of winning six, 14% chance of winning seven, 3% chance of winning eight. There you go. I'd take the under. I would take the under on that too, yeah. Okay. Georgia week. Just always just the most fun time in the world. Uh, BK, any parting shots? I don't think so, man. Uh, looking forward to the Florida game, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because it signifies that we got a week off after that, yeah, so that, that's good. Nice. Nice. Well, that's the show for today. As always, we uh, appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can read us. We have all types of feedback from y'all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt and H.E. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis at 101 ESPN. We appreciate you doing the turning this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M I Z. Z O U.